let's Good evening, everyone. I would like to uh, welcome you all to the December Transportation Authority of Marin Board of Commissioners meeting, December 15th, 2022, our last meeting of the calendar year. Uh, and with that, I'm going to ask our board clerk to please take the roll and then read how people can participate remotely. Commissioner Arnold? Here. Commissioner Blaustein? Here. Commissioner Bushy? Here. Commissioner Carmel? Here. Commissioner Catrano? Present. Commissioner Fredericks? Here. Commissioner Haroff? I'm here. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Here. Commissioner Cool? Absent. Commissioner Lee? Here. Commissioner Lucan? Here. Commissioner Rice, absent. Commissioner Bordoni? Here. Commissioner Sackett? Here. Vice Chair Colbert? Here. Chair Moulton Peters? Here. Great, you have a quorum. Okay, wonderful. So with that, uh, I'd like to welcome everyone. And then our first uh, order of business is to um, uh, give the oath of office our, from our board clerk to Mary Sackett as our new uh, commissioner representing District 1 and Melissa Blaustein as our new commissioner representing the city of Sausalito. Chair, if I may interrupt, I just need to do the announcements real quickly. Oh, I forgot about them. Yep, let's do that. <laughs> as allowed by Governor Newsom's executive order N1521 and Assembly Bill 361, this board meeting is physically closed to the public and is being held virtually via Zoom. There are a number of ways that the public may participate in today's discussion. You are invited to send your comment in an email to info at tam.ca.gov. If your comment is received before the item is heard, it will be read when the specific agenda item is being considered by the board and will become part of the record. If it is received during the meeting, but after an item is heard, it will not be read, but will become part of the record. Members of the public participating by Zoom may provide verbal comment on any item during the open time for that particular item by using the raise hand feature or dialing star nine and waiting to be called upon to provide your comment. Please note that there is a three minute limit. I'm also going to ask the panelists to please mute their microphones for the duration of the meeting and only unmute it when speaking. This is minimized feedback and background noise and allow staff to give a clear audible presentation. Please keep in mind that I will conduct a roll call vote on each action item, so you will need to unmute your microphone briefly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Shall we do the oath of office now? Yes, let's do that. Good afternoon, everyone. Ann Richmond, Executive Director of TAM. So um, Supervisor Sackett and um, Council Member Blaustein, I will uh, do the statements and then um, you can repeat uh, in perfect synchronization on Zoom, I'm sure, <laughs> after me. So um, are we ready? Yep, okay, great. I, state your name. I'm Mary Sackett. I'm Melissa Blaustein. Do solemnly swear or affirm. Do, do solemnly, solemnly swear or affirm. That I will support and defend. That I will support, I will support and defend. And defend the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution, Constitution of, the United of the United States, States, and the Constitution of the State of California, and the Constitution, Constitution of the State, of, State of, California, of California, against all enemies, 
against all enemies. enemies, foreign and domestic, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the Constitution of the United States, to the Constitution of the United States, and the Constitution of the State of California, and the Constitution of the State of California, that I take this obligation freely, that I take, this, I take obligation this obligation freely, without any mental reservation, without any mental reservation, or purpose of evasion, or purpose of evasion, that I will well and faithfully discharge, that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties upon which I am about to enter. The duties upon which I'm about to enter. Thank you very much. Thank Welcome. you. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. Uh, so now we go to agenda item number one, uh, AB 361. This is an action item. Uh, and uh, Anne, do you want to say anything about this, or shall we just go right to public comment? Uh, just briefly, I'm sure you all know uh, or are familiar with this. This is the 30-day um, um, sort of renewal that allows uh, TAM to continue to hold public meetings virtually in compliance with AB 361. Okay, so I'm going to call for any public comment on this, and I'll look to Jennifer to identify any speakers. I don't see any public comment at this time, Chair. Thank you. Then let's go ahead if I could have a motion and a second to approve this, please. So moved. Second. Seconded. Thank you. So it was a motion, Lucan, second by Blaustein. Uh, roll call, please. Commissioner Arnold? Aye. Commissioner Blaustein? Aye. Commissioner Bushy? Aye. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Harrow? Yes. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Lee? Yes. Commissioner Lucan? Yes. Commissioner Radoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Colbert? Yes. Chair Moulton Peters? Yes. That passes unanimously. Great, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll move now uh, to Chair's report and as part of my, uh, my report, uh, it is time for us to say goodbye so, to some very um, wonderful, long-serving board members this evening. Uh, and uh, I'm reluctant to say goodbye to any of them, but they have really served uh, with great distinction and been very, very productive contributors to the Transportation Authority after, uh, over the last number of years. So we have a commendation for each of them and uh, I'm going to read them and then I'm going to uh, open for comments, both from those leaving and then from anyone on the board who might like to say something. Uh, but we're going to start with Supervisor Judy Arnold, uh, who has been with us and such a valuable contributor. So let me tell you a little about Judy's various contributions. Whereas Supervisor Arnold was sworn in at the January 2000 board meeting as a TAM commissioner serving Marin County's District 5, 
whereas Judy served on the Transportation Sales Tax Expenditure Plan Development Community Advisory Committee to help and secure the passage of the original half-cent transportation sales tax measure A, launching years of investment in Marin's transportation system. Whereas Judy served on the fundings, funding programs and legislation executive committee in all of its various names and forms from 2012 to 2022, where she, along with four fellow commissioners, guided and shaped recommendations for consideration by the full TAM board. Whereas Judy served as the first female TAM vice chair from 2012 to 2018. Whereas she served from as TAM chair from 2019 to 2020, including the start of the pandemic, and was the first chair to navigate TAM through virtual meetings. And whereas Judy participated on the boards of all the transit operators in Marin, Marin Transit, SMART, the Golden Gate Bridge and Highway Transportation District, as well as serving as the representative to the multi-agency State Route 37 Policy Committee. And whereas Judy participated on TAM's Alternative Fuel and Electric Vehicle Ad Hoc Committee, where her thoughtful input aided in shaping policy considerations for that program. And whereas for the past 16 years, Judy has served TAM in the county as a tireless and collaborative proponent of the Marin Sonoma Narrows Project, accessible and reliable public transit, community engagement, and stable, reliable funding for transportation. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the TAM Board of Commissioners and TAM staff wish to thank Judy for her dedicated service to all things TAM and wish her continued success as she re-enters private life. So thank you. Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you so much. <laughs> it sounds like there was no committee that you were not on. So. <laughs> anyway. Well, this you. is an this is a great organization and, and we have a, a wonderful group of people that when some have to leave, others come in and it's still wonderful. So keep up the good work, everyone, because this is so important and, and I really um I really appreciate working with uh, with all of you. Thank you, Judy. And you know, I, I like so much that Judy made her remarks. Let's just have everyone right after I, they get their commendation, okay. have a moment. James Campbell, you're next. My friend James from Belvedere. <laughs> James, whereas James Campbell was sworn in in March 2019 board meeting as a TAM commissioner representing the city of Belvedere, and whereas James, along with his fellow commissioners, sought to move projects and programs forward, whereas James served as a director on the North Coast Railroad Authority and was instrumental in the transition to the Great Redwood Trail Agency, and whereas for the past four years, he has served Tam and the City of Belvedere with his steady support of the agencies, his always thoughtful questions, and his collegial manner, and I also want to add, where as James also played a really pivotal role as we went through the executive recruitment process and selection that brought Ann Richmond on board. And I thank James for all of his thoughtful work on that endeavor. Now be it resolved that the TAM Board of Commissioners and TAM staff wish to thank Commissioner James Campbell for his dedicated 
service to all things TAM. And we wish you the very best as you reenter private life. Thank you, James. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. I just want to thank uh, the staff and all my fellow commissioners education and the hard work. And um, I applaud you all, your unsung heroes in the county. And uh, not a lot of people know exactly what TAM does, but we all benefit from your hard work every day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next, we'll go to our colleague, Susan Cleveland Knowles from the city of Sausalito. Whereas Susan Cleveland Knowles was sworn in in the February 2019 board meeting as a TAM commissioner representing the city of Sausalito, whereas Susan served on the Funding, Programs, and Legislation Executive Committee, where along with her fellow commissioners, she guided and shaped recommendations for the, for the, from that committee. Whereas with her extensive background in transit policy, she was supportive of and championed programs and policies that were multimodal, reduced greenhouse gas emissions, and focused on student safety, including advocacy for EG, EV charger rebates, safe routes to school, the expansion of the crossing guard program in Sausalito. And whereas this was also evidenced by Susan's participation in TAM's Commute Alternatives and Trip Reduction Ad Hoc Committee, where her thoughtful contribution truly aided in shaping the policy considerations for this committee. And whereas for the past four years, she has served TAM and the city of Sausalito as a proponent of sustainable transportation options, equity programs, and thoughtful community engagement. Now, therefore, be it resolved, the TAM Board of Commissioners and staff wish to thank Susan Cleveland Knowles for her dedicated service to all things TAM and wish her continued success in her private life. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie, so much. And thank you, everyone. I'll just echo what Judy and James have already said. It's just been such a pleasure serving on this board. I love coming to these meetings. I love the staff reports and the hard work and in-depth um, take that Anne's staff always provides. And I've learned so much from all of you um, as to how to navigate the transportation challenges in the county, um, which are many. I just wanna say I've been so impressed with the active transportation focus of the TAM board over the last couple of years and just <laughs> watching these amazing transportation projects spring up all over Marin and getting to use them and see how they've improved um, getting around. Um, by bike, peg, and other um, means. It's just been so exciting to see our hard work um, bear so much fruit. Um, so thank you all. I'm truly a transit geek and I just look forward to watching uh, all that you continue to do. And I'm very excited that Melissa Blaustein um, will be uh, carrying on uh, the work on behalf of Sausalito. So thank you all um, so much for everything. Thank you, Susan. Nice. Wonderful. Yeah. So uh, uh, supervisor or assembly member Damon Connolly is not with us here tonight. So we'll, I'll mail him and give him his remarks personally. But I want to move right now to our last and not least, Dan Hilmer, uh, leaving the board after many years of wonderful service. Whereas Dan Hilmer was sworn in at the January 2012 board meeting as a TAM commissioner representing the city of Larkspur. And whereas Dan served on the administration projects and planning executive committee 
along with his, where along with his fellow members, he guided the recommendations for policy of the full TAM board. Whereas Dan participated on the board of the Sonoma Marin Area Rail Transit and encouraged commuters to use alternative forms of transportation, riding his bike to meetings, I can attest. Whereas Dan's advocacy for the North-South Greenway and his participation in TAM's Alternative Fuels and Electric Vehicle Ad Hoc Committee, where his thoughtful input aided in shaping policy considerations for those endeavors. Whereas Dan served on the US 101 580 Ad Hoc Committee to help guide the initial planning and community engagement process for this important local regional project. And whereas Dan has served on the Larkspur City Council since 1993, demonstrating his longstanding commitment to his local community. And whereas for the past 10 years, he has served TAM and the city of Larkspur as a proponent for expanding the bicycle and pedestrian network, improving transit access and sustainability. Now, therefore, be it resolved, TAM Board of Commissioners and TAM staff wish to thank Commissioner Hilmer for his dedicated service to all things TAM. And we wish you success, Dan, as you re-enter private life after all these years. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, I want to thank the TAM board. Uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to serve with all of you. Um, I've learned a lot. It's been an education. You can imagine over um, time, you learn have to learn things, and I've learned many things from all of you. Um, you are in good hands with my uh, friend, Kevin Haroff. Uh, Kevin is a dedicated uh, servant. He's a very fine man. And, and I want to uh, say to my great, great friend, Melissa Blaustein, that I look forward to having a holiday cocktail with you. And this meeting is about two hours long, and it's not too late to reconsider that mental reservation part in your oath. <laughs> Touche, Dan. <laughs> well. Thank you all so much. And you know, I I I'm, I heard. I think we all heard uh, how much people have enjoyed being on this board, and that is despite having some of the thickest agenda packets uh, <laughs> you will have ever seen on a county committee. So thank you for all of you for your dedication and the time and thought you put into Tam. Truly. <laughs> okay. With that, we are going to go on to Tam business outgoings you're welcome to stay here and if you don't we'll understand <laughs> madam chair madam yes chair, please we do we do have a, a comment from the public so oh I, we do yeah. fantastic <laughs> great let's go to it warren wells please unmute hi this is warren wells uh, policy and plan director for the marine county bicycle coalition i just want to to take a second to echo the applause and appreciation for uh the outgoing council members uh Commissioner, sorry, Commissioners Arnold, uh, Campbell, uh, Cleveland Knowles, and um, and Hilmer. So thank you for all your service. Really appreciate uh, everything you've done, and look forward to maybe working with some of you and your roles as private citizens going forward. And also congratulations to the new commissioners. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Warren. And I'm glad you started the recruitment process for the private citizens now. Very, <laughs> very strategic. That's good. <laughs> Okay. 
Uh, with that, now we'll move to an, an item that also reflects change on our board, and that's item 2B, and these are uh, executive committee rep uh, appointments. Uh, we, we have brought, uh, with our outgoing members uh, departing, we are bringing on new members onto our executive committees. And uh, so if I could ask our executive director to go ahead and uh, give the report on that. Certainly, Chair Moulton-Peters, uh, Ann Richmond. So um, according to the TAM Administrative Code, membership to each of the executive committees shall be as recommended by the TAM board chair and approved by a majority of the full TAM board. So since, uh, as we just heard, we have a number of commissioners who are stepping off the board and new commissioners coming on, that created vacancies on both of the two executive committees. And so this action, um, uh, based on the chair's recommendation, would appoint Commissioner Cutrano and Commissioner Collin to TAM's Administration, Projects, and Planning Executive Committee, and would also appoint Commissioner Sackett and Commissioner Carmel to TAM's Funding, Programming, and Legislation Executive Committee. There's a bit of background in the staff report on uh, the main functions of each of those committees. And um, if approved by the board, uh, these appointments would take effect immediately and um, we would welcome the new commissioners to the committees and mark January 9th on your calendars because uh, that would be uh, potentially the, the next meeting of, those, of both committees. So uh, that's the report and um, can certainly answer any questions. Are there any questions from the board? I'm not seeing any. I'll, I'll just add that um, the appointments to the executive committee are, are generally made uh, with board commissioners who have served a year or two on TAM board. I'm grateful to Commissioner Fredericks that she explained to me when I came on the TAM board <laughs> that it takes a year or two to actually understand all the issues that are on the TAM agenda. So if it takes you that, that time, it certainly took me that time. But once you've got your feet on the ground, uh, then the executive committees are a wonderful way to deepen your knowledge and frankly, your ability to shape some of the policy issues because they are brought to our executive committee meetings for an early vetting uh, and, uh, and shaping. And appointments to those committees are based on interest uh, that uh, TAM board commissioners have as well as geographic uh, location. We try and balance these committees to reflect, reflect the entire county. Uh, so anyway, for those of you who are interested, that, that's how this all happens. And so uh, with that, I will, um, I see no questions. I'm going to ask if there's any public comment before we uh, take a motion in a second to approve these appointments. So. Sure, there's no public comment at this time. Okay. If someone would be willing to make a motion. I'll move this. Thank you, Judy. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, may I have a second, please? Second. Thank you. Was that Commissioner Bushy? Yes. Okay, very good. Thank you. All right, roll call, please. Commissioner Arnold? Aye. Commissioner Blaustein? Yes. Commissioner Bushy? Aye. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Harrod? Yes. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Lee? Yes. Commissioner Lucan? Yes. 
Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Colbert? Yes. Chair Moulton Peters? Yes. That passes unanimously. Wonderful. I have one last piece of business uh, just as chair, which is, uh, Anne, would it be possible to put up the, the uh, picture of the mural that is now under the Sausalito Marin City mm -hmm. Tunnel under 101? Oh. So this is the mural that was created by volunteers with the All Our Children United effort, both uh, uh, citizens in the city of Sausalito and Marin City. Uh, have been working, frankly, for years to get uh, a mural uh, painted underneath the very dark underpass that uh, divides Sausalito and Marin City. And I'm happy to say <laughs> that thanks to my aide, Doreen Gennard, we uh, arm wrestled with Caltrans and everybody else until we got the approvals that were needed to be able to go ahead and install the mural uh, in November. And if you have an opportunity to go see it, these are handprints, uh, stencils of children from the schools that travel through the uh, tunnel on their walks to school and back. And uh, it, it, it has really brightened up the place. We had a huge celebration a couple of weekends ago with bands and people meeting in the middle of the tunnel and cutting the ribbon. And uh, it really was a joyous event. Uh, that signifies a, the unification of the school district there uh, and more to come in bringing the communities together. So because Great. this has a transportation connection, I just wanted to take a moment to show it off a little bit. Okay. Anyway, Great. thank you for that. All right, back to regular business now. That leads us to uh, commissioner comments. Is there anyone on our commission who wants to raise an issue or make an announcement? Okay, not seeing any, then we will go now to uh, commissioner reports. And I believe, at, Anne, you were going to give the MTC report tonight, were you? Uh, yes, I can. I'd be happy to do that, Chair Moulton Peters. So, um, standing in for our former MTC representative, Damon Connolly, we're between reps right now. So, um, I just uh, took a look at the November and December items for MTC and uh, have a few things to mention. Um, so, in November, MTC adopted guidelines for countywide transportation plans for all of the Bay Area counties. They also had an informational update on the Richmond San Rafael Bridge projects, including the UC Berkeley phase one report findings and the status of the so-called forward projects. Um, and they received a staff update on implementation activities for plan Bay Area. Uh, in other words, what has happened since the plan was adopted last year. Scheduled items for December include a look ahead to the upcoming plan Bay Area 2050 plus which is the next update of Plan Bay Area, which is also slated to include a connected network plan, uh, setting out a long range visit, vision for transit. Um, also in December is a report on the November 2022 election that delivered some wins for MTC and ABAG priorities, including measures at the local level to sustain and increase resources for transportation and affordable housing. Uh, they are also scheduled to adopt the MTC Advocacy Program for 2023, 
which generally tries to maximize transportation funds for the Bay Area. And this year also includes a focus on strategies to avert the transit fiscal cliff and to rebuild ridership. Uh, and finally, uh, they will receive a look ahead at um, the MTC Climate Initiatives funding programs, which include uh, sub-programs for parking management, mobility hubs, and transportation electrification. That concludes the report. Thank you, Anne. Any questions on this? Okay, then we'll move on to the Marin Transit Report, and Commissioner Colbert will give that. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. I'll give a high level. Ridership at Marin Transit is 85% of pre-pandemic levels, uh, which is quite good relative to other transit providers, uh, basically throughout the nation. Uh, Marin Transit has installed four electric charging stations, and they are expected to be in full service by March. There was a delay, a delay due to supply chain issues, so this is very good news. The Mirwood shuttle was moved to Larkspur Landing as a test, and it looks like feedback has been positive. So it's going to be used for the weekends and holiday service through the end of June 30th, 2023, and then it'll be reevaluated. And then the last bit of business is Marin uh, Transit recently updated its short range transit plan, which it has to do every two years. The important uh, thing about this plan is under MTC's projections, Marin Transit would face service cuts of 45 to 60% over the next two years. However, under Marin Transit's uh, projected revenues and expenditures, we should be able to maintain uh, service levels for the next five years. Of course, there's a whole lot of uncertainties concerning the economy, labor, all that kind of stuff. So we'll keep you posted. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or Nancy William at Marin Transit. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Brian. Uh, and now we'll move to the SMART report, Commissioner Lucan. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. I'll keep it real brief. Uh, three updates from SMART. Uh, SMART is up to 78% of pre-pandemic ridership, so just behind Marin Transit, but showing strong, strong ridership growth uh, coming back. Uh, at our last board meeting, we uh, introduced some changes to our oversight committee, which has been in existence since Measure Q was originally passed uh, with many of the same oversight uh, committee members. Uh, the change guidelines will uh, allow for some new individuals to join the oversight committee, um, uh, which uh, I think could could use some some uh, some new interest. Uh, and so it's good timing for that. Uh, if you know folks uh, in Marin or Sonoma that might be interested in serving, there is going to be a call for applications coming up for that. Uh, and then lastly, on December 3rd, SMART had its uh, successful annual toy drive um, with uh, an opportunity to donate toys uh, on the train. And I am proud to say I uh, actually ran into Santa Claus uh, riding SMART on December 3rd. So even, even St. Nick uh, uh, rides SMART, uh, all the more reason for everybody else to ride it as well. That's all I have to report. Oh, that's fantastic, Eric. Thank you very much. All right. I don't see any questions. I'll call. Is there any public comment or question on the commissioner reports? I don't see any public comment at this time, Chair. Very good. Thank you. We'll move now to the executive director's report. All right. Thank you, Chair. Hello. Uh, so I think I'll actually um, uh, just highlight a couple of items quickly from this report since we have a number of guests and presentations happening tonight. So Jennifer, if you want to go to the next slide. 
Um, so one item is uh, a, a great collaboration um, that resulted in a bicycle helmet giveaway in Novato to three elementary schools, Loma Verde, Lou Sutton, and Linwood. And um, at the schools, students were observed by various folks riding to and from school without having the proper safety equipment. So um, school trustee Diane Gasson spearheaded an effort with support from the district, the Safe Routes team, and Mike's Bikes to provide helmets for the children. And um, you can see from the pictures here, there was uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of fun uh, at that helmet giveaway. So a big thanks to the partners and the community for this effort. Uh, next slide, and actually next one after that, since we uh, already got to see that beautiful mural. Um, so the other thing that I wanted to highlight from the report was uh, a big milestone for the San Rafael Transit Center relocation that is happening this week. Um, so you may recall uh, earlier this fall, the Golden Gate Dis Bridge District released the final EIR for the relocation project. And uh, you also may recall that TAM has supported this project with funding, and it is also a key project for uh, transit in the county and really the region. Um, and today at the uh, Building and Operations Committee meeting of the district, the committee approved uh, sending the final EIR to the full board for their consideration tomorrow. So it is actually on the agenda at the board of directors meeting tomorrow for uh, final certification. Um, so the uh, printed or the um, write-up of my report contains uh, a few other items, including the usual Caltrans report and community activities, but um, I will just leave it there and see if anyone has any questions. Thank you, Ann. Any questions? Okay, I'm not seeing any. Uh, we'll open the public comment. Any questions from the public on this report? I don't see any hands raised at this time, Chair. Thank you very much. Then we'll move in now to public comment on anything not on tonight's agenda. So is there anyone who wishes to address the board? Please raise your hand. Alan Bortel, please unmute. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, Alan, we can. Oh, okay. I can't tell. Um, yes. Um, did they give, um, this is to Anne, I guess, did the Bridge District, which was the meeting, I presume, where the environmental impact report was, uh, was issued, um, did they give a timeline as to um, how and when, or a timeline for the uh, move of the transit center? And is it going to move across the street uh, uh, surrounding the, the old Vivalon building? Was there that much detail? Uh, Chair Moulton-Peters, would you like me to provide just a quick response to that? Would, please. Thank you. So, um, uh, Mr. Bortel, my understanding is that the preferred alternative in the EIR is the, uh, to move across the street, as you described. I think the schedule is somewhat dependent on funding, including Regional Measure 3 funding being freed up from, from litigation. But now that the EIR is finalized, I believe the district will be going into the design and right-of-way phases, and uh, we'll just continue to um, track the funding situation. Okay, thank you. Is there any other public comment, Jennifer? 
I don't see any other comments at this time, Chair. Great. Thank you. Okay, then we'll move now to the consent calendar. Uh, and these are routine items that have been budgeted for, but if there's anyone on the board or the public who'd like to pull any item from consent, now would be the time. And I'll wait just a moment to see if there's any hands. Anyone from the public, Jennifer? Don't see any public comment at this time. Okay, we'll bring that back then. If someone would be willing to make a motion in a second, we'll pass consent. I'll move the you consent items. Second, Rodoni. I'm happy to second that. Okay, good. We had a lot of enthusiasm. I think I heard uh, Commissioner Lucan who proposed, and then second was uh, Rodoni. Rodoni, thank you. Yes, uh, Commissioner Rodoni. Thank you. Uh, roll call, please. Commissioner Arnold? Aye. Commissioner Blaustein? Yes. Commissioner Bushy? Aye. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Haroff? Yes. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Lee? Yes. Commissioner Lucan? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Colbert? Yes. Chair Moulton Peters? Yes. That passes unanimously. Very good. M Madam Pre uh, President, could I just uh, uh, mention number F on the, on the, on the agenda, which is um, me, um, actually uh, saying that SMART is a member of this. I think that's a very wise move and, and I wanna thank uh, thank everyone that, that did that, not only us, but the, the other agencies. I think that is a good move and I'm sure we'll hear a little about that tonight too. So thank you, Commissioner Arnold for pointing that out. Okay, we'll move now to uh, item uh, number eight, the Measure B Expenditure Plan. Uh, and I'll turn to our executive director to, to bring that, uh, tee that up. Okay, thank you again, Chair Moulton-Peters, uh, Ann Richmond, executive director. I guess you're hearing from me quite a bit this evening. Um, so uh, this item is um, a staff recommendation that the board reviews the draft amended Measure B Expenditure Plan which is shown as an attachment to the item and opens it for a 45-day public comment period. So at the end of that period, um, staff would bring back the uh, amended expenditure plan for approval um, and uh, would address any comments received during the period. So before I give an overview of uh, the process and the recommend recommendations, I did actually, if you could take the slide down for a minute, uh, Jennifer. Um, I did want to introduce the chair of TAM's uh, Citizens Oversight Committee, Mr. Peter Pelham. The COC has been really instrumental in this process. And uh, so we uh, invited Peter to make a few remarks. And uh, I also wanna note that we are joined tonight by Bonnie Nelson, who has been assisting uh, staff and the COC through this process with facilitation. And I'm sure some of you remember Bonnie from her roles with the original uh, measure B and the sales tax measures as well. So uh, Peter, I will turn it over to you. Thank you, Van. 
Uh, good evening, Madam Chair and board members. Thank you for allowing me some time to talk about the role of TAM's Citizens Oversight Committee in the amendment process for the first Measure B expenditure plan. We appreciate you placing trust in our committee to oversee this process and make recommendations to you. The TAM staff have done a wonderful job listening to all the comments, ideas, and recommendations that have come out of the numerous meetings over the past few months. The COC spent a lot of time reviewing the details of all the Measure B programs before considering any potential changes based on current priorities and input from other sources. As a result, we feel very good about the proposed changes that are, we are recommending for your review tonight. The COC feels that the proposed changes continue to support the original projects and programs funded by Measure B. However, there is a good compromise focusing on bike pedestrian improvements. At the same time, local jurisdictions will have more autonomy in the delivery of high priority projects. In our wrap-up meeting in October, the COC members voted unanimously to recommend the proposed changes for your consideration and to open the 45-day review for public comment. I know I speak for everyone on our committee when I say thank you for allowing us to be involved in this process. Peter, thank you very much. And please thank the rest of the COC for us. When we were trying to figure out how, how best to go through this revision process, uh, it was suggested that the COC be uh, involved and that was a very good decision. And so we appreciate all the work to bring this forward to us tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you to Bonnie Nelson. Anything that Bonnie is involved with turns out fabulously. So thank you, Bonnie, for being involved with this and with Tam again. Thank you. So back to you, Ann, for the substance. Thank you very much. And yes, we had uh, a lot of great assistance and collaboration from uh, Peter and the whole COC and Bonnie, as well as um, staff from agencies all around the county, including the jurisdictions and the transit agencies. So uh, definitely want to extend appreciation to them. Okay, so Jennifer, if you can pull the slides up. Um, so just a little background on, on Measure B and what it is. Um, you can go to the next slide. So following the passage of some state enabling legislation, SB 83, Measure B was approved by 63% of Marin voters in 2010, and it established a $10 per vehicle registration fee on all vehicles registered in the county with the proceeds going to support transportation projects and programs. It generates a little over $2 million a year, and the original expenditure plan uh, includes a provision that directed the TAM board to review the priorities in the plan at least every 10 years. So with passage in 2010, uh, the 10-year review would have come in 2020. However, at that time, uh, the TAM board um, adopted a resolution to maintain a status quo for up to two years because of the pandemic, uh, which brought the review process uh, to start in 2022. So uh, we, did, uh, we did start that earlier this year, and um, I will walk you through what has happened since then. Next slide. So the original expenditure plan laid out several uh, categories or elements for the expenditures as shown here. So 35% to local streets and roads, 
5% to a particular set of class one pathways in the county, 35% for transit for seniors and people with disabilities, and 25% to uh, three programs that are aimed at reducing congestion and pollution. And that includes the crossing guards and street smarts, commute alternatives, and our alt fuels program. Next slide. Uh, the fee is a flat $10 fee uh, per vehicle, does not go up or down. Um, and because the number of cars in Marin doesn't change that much, it's pretty steady revenue. It doesn't vary much from year to year. Um, the 2.3 or $2.4 million a year is about 5% of the total annual revenue that TAM collects. And uh, just for context, the Measure AA sales tax revenue is about 75% of our total annual revenue. And last year was about $34 million. So Measure B is um, important, but it is a relatively smaller source. Next slide, please. Um, those dollars do add up. So over the first 10 years of Measure B, uh, it generated about $20 million to the various programs uh, that it's used for, and uh, those totals are shown here. Next slide, please. Um, I do want to take a moment to just kind of walk through how the expenditure plan fits in on um, policy development here at TAM and, and its relationship to some of our other um, sort of key documents or programs. So the expenditure plan really sets the voters priority list. It's pretty high level in terms of those priorities, um, and it maintains flexibility on implementation, knowing that um, things may change over time on the details. TAM also does a strategic plan uh, that sets allocation policy guidelines, and this is a document that's updated every two years uh, and is approved by the board. So the strategic plan typically would contain more detail, uh, near-term revenue um, estimates, performance goals, that kind of thing. We also have um, project and program implementation plans and uh, our annual budget. And these really uh, talk about how any particular project or program is implemented, uh, may contain reporting, um, that kind of thing. So what we're talking about today is the expenditure plan. Um, at which again is kind of the, the highest level um, document in, in the funding program world, if you will. Next slide, please. So uh, just in terms of the process that we've been going through uh, with the COC and other stakeholders this year, it really started in March when uh, this board approved a schedule and kind of the basic outline for the process. Then we met with the COC uh, in May, June, July, and October. Thank you, Peter, and all the COC members for sticking through the process with so many meetings. Um, during that time, of course, we also had discussions with other stakeholders and uh, continued to um, share information through our various uh, notifications, social media, et cetera. Uh, we did bring these recommendations uh, to the executive committee in November as well. And uh, we are here today, again, to request approval to open the comment period and then to return to the board in January for actual approval of the expenditure plan. Next slide. So uh, as, no, as mentioned, the COC had a key role uh, in the expenditure plan review, and um, this was done 
partly so that we could hold these these meetings and these discussions in an open public setting. So the CSC meetings are Brown Act meetings, and um, the public is is welcome at all of them. Uh, we also invited agency partners such as local jurisdictions and the transit operators, uh, as well as other stakeholders, to participate and provide comments at the meetings. Um, as I mentioned, we had four of these meetings with the COC, and we also distributed information via our monthly newsletter, our website, um, emails, social media, um, et cetera. And I would note that uh, the, the staff report does include a few letters that we received commenting on uh, the process and the proposals. Next slide. So overall, uh, the feedback that we received from the COC and from many of the stakeholders reaffirmed the overall approach that the expenditure plan takes um, in that um, they want to continue to fund programs that provide benefit to the fee payers. That is actually a statutory requirement. Um, in addition, uh, the plan should prioritize funding for programs that can leverage what's a relatively small amount uh, to make a big difference. Uh, prioritize funding for innovative projects and programs, including pilots, and then a little bit of increased focus on uh, measurable results, reporting, uh, being sure that we're providing benefit with these investments. Um, and uh, in addition, the COC um, did suggest uh, being open to reviewing it more than 10, more than every 10 years when necessary, which the language in the expenditure plan does allow for. Next slide. In terms of the investments uh, that we heard uh, from the COC, um, they wanted to see increased funding for non-motorized transportation, uh, maintain, uh, at least maintain and consider increasing funds for element two, which is the transit program, and then consider increased funding for the element three programs, especially for alternative fuels. So in other words, uh, more funding for all of the programs, uh, which of course, this is a fixed pie. So uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't have a way to do that, but we also are aware of that and will continue as always to look for funding opportunities. So staff considered the feedback, um, all the discussion and meetings uh, with the COC. Uh, we had additional meetings with um, Marin Transit staff, with the Marin Managers Association, so the city managers and the county administrator, and with the Marin Public Works Administration. We put together an initial proposal in July and then worked over the subsequent months to refine that, um, develop a compromise proposal, and that is what you see here today. Next slide. So that brings us to the recommended updates to the expenditure plan. And uh, really those updates focus on element 1.1 uh, and 1.2. So element 1.1 currently is a formula program uh, with funds going to the local jurisdictions intended for local streets and roads maintenance. And the staff recommendation is to continue to um, maintain the 35% funding share for element 1.1, continue to use the current formula distribution, which is based on lane miles and population so that each jurisdiction uh, receives a predictable known amount. Um, however, uh, the staff proposes to kind of somewhat shift the focus of the funds and have the jurisdictions identify 
specific projects uh, that would focus on bicycle and pedestrian improvements in accordance with uh, criteria that we'll be developing. We would make available five years worth of funds at a time so that the jurisdictions uh, can have certainty and can use the funds to really focus on more significant projects. We would bring the project list to the TAM board for confirmation and then work with the jurisdictions on the availability of funds based on project readiness and cash flow. Next slide. So uh, this proposal was um, developed in full recognition that while local streets and roads maintenance is important, there's also a, a high and growing demand for funds for active transportation projects. We see this every time uh, with OBAG calls for projects, the state ATP funds, TDA and TFCA, which are oversubscribed really every single time. Uh, at the same time, the state has provided more funds for streets and roads maintenance through the SB1 program. And that is a new and pretty significant change since 2010 when Measure B was first adopted. Um, so the expected benefits of this shift are to help the county achieve goals of mobility and safety, to support TAM in its countywide efforts, to strengthen the network throughout the whole county, to fund discrete projects, which really will make the projects kind of more visible and more um, transparent, and also to provide funding for projects that may not be a good fit for state or federal funds. Um, so, as I mentioned, we worked through a process with the jurisdictions, and we believe that their staff uh, are supportive as well, and uh, some of them, I would say, are even excited about the opportunity to do some projects uh, that they have been looking forward to and might now have funding for. Next slide, please. So the next recommendation is for element 1.2, which is used for maintaining certain class one pathways in the county. So uh, the proposed change here is um, somewhat around the, the margins, I would say. So we're proposing to maintain the current 5% funding share for this program and continue using the funds for the same uh, pathways that they are used for now. The change would be that um, we have actually accumulated some carryover funds in this element and the current expenditure plan does not have a mechanism to be able to expend those carryover funds. So the staff proposes to allow the TAM board the discretion to direct the carryover funds to any countywide uh, pathway planning, maintenance, or construction need. Right now, there's about $300,000 available. So um, if the new expenditure plan were to go into effect, uh, July 1, 2023, that $300,000 would be available for the needs uh, that you see here. And in addition, to ensure that uh, future pathway funds are timely and effectively used, we would uh, like to ask that the TAM board be given the discretion to redirect carryovers to similar purposes uh, whenever that carryover amount reaches $250,000 or more. Next slide. So for element two, which is the, um, the element to improve transit for seniors and people with disabilities, we are recommending maintaining the current 35% funding share with really no changes in how the funds would be used. Uh, we absolutely recognize that senior mobility is a really high priority in the county, and we definitely want to continue support of these programs. 
uh, but because it is a fixed pie, we would not be able to increase the funding for it without decreasing um, a, a different element within the program. Next slide. Similarly, for element three, uh, which is the reduced congestion and pollution programs, we are recommending maintaining the current 25% share. There was some discussion uh, through the process about whether the sub-elements should each have their own set share within that 25%. And at this time, staff recommends uh, not codifying a split in the expenditure plan in order to maintain flexibility year to year. And um, providing more certainty is something that we think we can do through the strategic plan process if that's needed, uh, rather than through the expenditure plan. Next slide. Uh, so we do have uh, another recommendation that is not specific about the elements. And um, just by way of background, the COC membership itself is actually spelled out in the uh, Measure B and the Measure AA expenditure plans. Um, in recognition that voices and sort of attention on disadvantaged communities in Marin has been evolving, we recommend adding language to the expenditure plan that would allow the board the authority to review the current membership structure with the potential to add one or more new seats to address the needs of equity priority communities. Um, the reason this is being recommended as a potential future step is because of TAM's ongoing development with um, an equity statement and action plan. So we would like to um, afford the agency more time to kind of work through that process before uh, making a new um, COC seat or seats available. Next slide. So I mentioned uh, metrics and reporting and um, based on suggestions from the COC, we do recommend addressing uh, these um, policies during the strategic plan process, which would happen this spring once the amended expenditure plan is finalized. So uh, through the strategic plan, we would identify performance metrics, reporting requirements, um, deal with things like fund leveraging, uh, as well as defining the use of the carryover funds in element 1.2 that I just talked about. Um, we would also propose to do periodic reporting on the expenditure plan progress rather than uh, going through another expenditure plan review more often than every 10 years. And this is in order to allow more time to see the effects of the investments and to also provide some certainty and stability to the fund recipients. Um, having said that, if there were a need, uh, a, you know, a big change in circumstances that required the review or necessitated the review of an expenditure plan, more often than every 10 years, the language in the plan does allow for that. Next slide. So over the course of the fall, um, uh, we have taken this proposal to several groups. Um, and I'm pleased to say that the Marin Public Works Association unanimously supported this staff proposal at their meeting on October 20th. The COC, uh, as mentioned by Chair Pelham, did unanimously support it uh, at their meeting on October 24th, and the Funding Programs and Legislation Executive Committee supported the proposal at their meeting on November 14th and uh, authorized staff to present to you today the draft expenditure plan and uh, request that the board open the 45-day public comment period. Next slide. 
so that's what we're here today to seek. Um, if the board approves it, then the public comment period would be open uh, from December 15th to January 29th. And the staff anticipates returning to the board at the January 26th board meeting, holding a public hearing at that meeting, and conditionally adopting the amended plan pending the close of the comment period a couple days later. If there are significant public comments, uh, we would, of course, uh, address those in our report back to the board. Then over the course of the spring, staff would work with the fund recipients and the board regarding implementation actions and the strategic plan with the expectation that um, the changes would go into effect July 1 of 2023. I do uh, wanna note as my last comment that uh, I believe the staff report said that um, the county council review of the amended expenditure plan was underway. And I'm also pleased to report that uh, County Council concluded that review a few days ago. They had uh, three very minor non-substantive comments that we will incorporate um, into the expenditure plan document. So that concludes the staff report and uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions. And I know Peter and Bonnie are here as well. So if there are any questions for them, um, thank you very much. Thank you, Anne, for the report. I'm gonna look at my colleagues on the commission. Are there any questions? If so, would you raise your hand? I see Commissioner Lucan. Uh, Anne, just one that dawned on me is uh, you're going through the, the breakdown of the distribution based off of lane miles and population. I know we use that same formula in, in other programs and elements. How often do we do we audit that? I'm, I'm assuming lane miles doesn't really change, but you know, population with the census, do we do we update that? We do update that, Commissioner Lucan. I believe we update it every two years through the strategic plan process, and the population um, does fluctuate a little bit, not that much. Um, so the estimates for the if. If what's also part of your question is, would those five-year estimates change for the jurisdictions? They might change a little bit, and we would work with the jurisdictions to sort of account for that over time. But I think we could do that without disrupting uh, their expectations for the amounts that they'd be receiving. Thank you. Other questions? I'm not seeing any. Uh, I have one, Anne, and it regards uh, the element uh, 1.2, this is maintenance of our multi-use paths. And I know we've talked about this before, but one of the things that I often hear as a commissioner from the um, cycling community is the need to um, sweep our, our bicycle paths and, and our multi-use paths and keep the gravel off them. And um, so two questions, are these funds available just for the multi-use paths uh, as opposed to the on-street bike lanes? And I'm seeing you nod. Okay, so it really is yeah. just the multi-use. Just okay. for the class one pathways, yes. Okay, um, but but it, if if uh, one of those segments of pathway needed sweeping, are are maintenance expenses uh, eligible, or are these just capital improvements on the on the MUPS? Um, these funds, the element 1.2 funds really are intended for ongoing maintenance. They're allocated every year and the kinds of things that you're describing as well as 
you know, graffiti removal, filling potholes, fixing railings, all those kinds of ongoing everyday maintenance are really what exactly what the funds are intended for. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, if there's no other board questions, we'll open to public comment on this item and I'll ask our board clerk to help me identify speakers. Warren Wells, please unmute. Hi, Chair, uh, members of the commission. This is Warren Wells with the Marin County Advisor Coalition. Um, I, I wanna comment on behalf of our organization on the proposed changes to the Measure B expenditure plan. Um, as Director Richmond convincingly stated, Existing transportation, active transportation funding sources are severely oversubscribed subscribed currently, and and what's what's stopping a number of important projects from moving forward is is not um, you know a lack of will on the part of council or staff, but really a lack of uh, dedicated funding. And and so given the availability of SB one funds for local street maintenance, we really appreciate this focusing of the Measure B Element one point one funding toward the relatively inexpensive discrete projects. Um, focused on active transportation. So I, I really want to thank TAM staff and the COC for the work on this plan. Um, and just, just one more quick note, you know, I do want to note that, you know, Measure B Element 1.2 funds, which fund the maintenance of Class 1 multi-use paths, is limited to those constructed after the measure's passage. And, and I, I understand that limitation. The director explained this to me because TAM didn't want cities to backfill their maintenance obligations. I, I do want to bring up to to, to the TAM board, the fact that it leaves many pathways that were built before that date um, without a clear source of maintenance mm -hmm. funds, many of which are in pretty dire states of repair. There's a pathway um, in Novato, south of downtown, and, and another one on south of, on, on Nevada Boulevard heading towards Stafford Lake. But all in all, uh, we strongly support the proposed changes to this and want to thank um, TAM staff for all their hard work. Thanks so much. Zeta Flores, please unmute. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Vita Flores and I live in San Anselmo. I'm also the uh, senior advisor for Metropolitan Transportation Commission on their um, Citizens Advisory Council. And I wanted to um, talk to you today about um, uh, the expenditure plan. When I reviewed the plan, I'm, I'm concerned that there is no expansion in funding for senior transportation services when our county has 60% um, uh, of our residents are considered seniors. And um, there are great demographics that indicate that 60% of all U.S. residents have hearing um, disabilities of at least 25%. And even, uh, and that's just information to tuck, tuck um, back when we look at planning Batini Transportation Hub. But even a 1% or a half a percent funding change for uh, senior transportation services will go a very long way for senior transportation. It could add vital funding for paratransit, Novato Ride and Dial, and the West Marin Stagecoach, which brings out of the box um, opportunities for residents in West Marin. Secondly, I would also like to applaud the expansion of the COC to add a representative to review uh, language barriers. Um, and this brings me back to a point which I've brought up on several occasions to the commission and also the COC, which is 
Um, the COC name itself stands for the Citizens Oversight Committee. And I highly recommend that you change the name or even make a soft change of the committee name to Community Oversight Committee. And our political will over the last few years and the last administration look down upon those who are not citizens. And if you want to invite anyone with a language to represent the Spanish speaking community, it looking being part of a committee that citizens oversight committee could um, be a barrier to participation. So again, I hope that you look at the name of the COC and make those changes if and when possible. Thank you very much. And I appreciate the time this evening. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I don't see any other comments at this time. All right, thank you for the comments. Um, I, I wanna just comment that uh, uh, as to the comment made by Warren Wells about the, um, the lack of eligibility for uh, paths that were created uh, after the expenditure plan was brought in. I, I do remember that there was a concern that we would not have adequate funds in this account to address multi-use paths. And so we, we, we put sort of made that line of demarcation of what we would fund and not fund. And, and clearly uh, with the surplus funds that we have, that, that has not uh, turned out to be the case. So I, I, I could see perhaps reevaluating whether or not uh, older paths might be eligible for maintenance funds. So I would just ask for consideration of that as we go through this comment period when we'll be um, taking other comments uh, along these lines and the lines that Vita Flores offered tonight. So um, having said that, uh, the action before us is to uh, approve the release of this draft plan for a 45-day public comment period. And uh, I would entertain a motion to that effect. I'll move it. Actually, Madam Chair, may I make one comment? Absolutely. And I apologize if there's others who wish to comment, uh, please do. Uh, Brian, please go ahead. Yeah, no, just one brief comment. I'd like to thank everyone involved, but I'd like to uh, I'd like to thank uh, Executive Director Richmond. I know you did a lot of work behind the scenes and uh, working with the heads of the Department of Public Works. So uh, thanks and to you and your team for uh, that work. Any other commissioner comments? Yeah, I joined Commissioner Colbert, and I'll just say I really appreciate and your initiative here on looking at ways to garner more funding for active transportation. We have always routinely come up short trying to fund these projects. So thank you for looking at this and finding a way to address that. Uh, and with that, I would entertain a motion. Madam Madam Chair, can I ask one more question mm -hmm. of Anne? Um, thank you. So based on the comments that we've received um, this evening, I'm curious, as we release this plan, and um, during that 45-day comment period, should we receive you know, an abundance of comments related to some of the concerns or tweaks and modifications and things that we've heard tonight? Um, would, would TAM staff then come back in uh, sometime early in the new year, uh, in the spring, and and there could be potential tweaks based on comments received in the 45-day comment period. Is that correct? That's correct, Commissioner. I mean, I would say that if we receive 
significant comments, we would want to bring back um, an updated expenditure plan and maybe give the board and the public time to absorb any major changes. I think if the comments result in more, you know, minor adjustments or tweaks that we would uh, still go ahead and, and ask the board to consider approving it um, at the end of this 45-day comment period uh, at the end of January. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Okay, I'm gonna scan one more time for any further board comments. Not seeing any. Uh, is there someone who would make the motion to approve this going into 45 day comment period? I'll make that motion. Thank you. I'll second it. Okay, motion by Carmel, second by Katrana. Roll call, please. Commissioner Arnold. Commissioner Arnold. Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, are you bringing a bunch of soup? Aye. Aye. Commissioner Blaustein? Yes. Commissioner Bushy? Yes. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Haroff? Yes. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Lee? Yes. Commissioner Lucan? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Colbert? Yes. Chair Moulton Peters? Yes. That passes unanimously. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to our next item, number nine. Uh, this is the Highway 37 project. We'll be receiving an update this evening. And uh, I'll turn to Ann again to please uh, give us the context on this. Thank you, Chair. Um, so just very quickly, this was an item that was um, at, introduced at your request at a previous meeting. So uh, we are here with a whole team from Caltrans and MTC uh, to provide an update. It's an information item only. And uh, I would like to turn it over to Tam's project manager for this State Route 37 program, Nick Nguyen, uh, who will introduce the team. Uh, thank you, Anne. Um, good evening, Madam Chair and Commissioners. Uh, this is Nicholas Nguyen, your Principal Project Delivery Manager. Um, as the board will recall, TAM has been a part of a coalition of North Bay Transportation Agencies, including MTC and Caltrans since 2015, to study, develop, and prioritize improvement projects for the State Route 37 corridor, to address mobility, sea level rise, and flooding. In collaboration with this coalition, TAM has participated in and helped fund various studies and even led a study for segment A in Marin and Sonoma counties. TAM and Marin County have benefited immensely from this cooperation and collaboration. Within the past two years, three separate but coordinated projects have been underway and have pretty much defined the, the current discussion and dialogue. These include the State Route 37 Planning and Environmental Linkage Corridor Study, also referred to as PEL, the Sears Point to Mare Island Improvement Project. Some of us may have heard it referred to as the Interim Segment B Project in the past. And uh, lastly, the Caltrans 101 to Atherton Avenue in Marin, uh, Marin County Flood um, Reduction Project. To update the TAM board tonight, 
On the status of these projects, I would like to introduce representatives from MTC and Caltrans who, who will give a brief presentation and take questions. With us uh, is Deputy Executive Director of MTC, Andrew Vermeer, and his senior staff, Kevin Chen and Jeanette Wiseman. And from Caltrans, we have Senior Project Managers, Tammy Massingale, Ricky Gao, and Ahmed Rahid. I would like to thank them in advance for being here tonight. And with that, I would like to take, uh, turn it over to uh, Mr. Vermeer of MTC to kick off the presentation. Well, good evening, uh, Chair Moulton Peters and members of the board. And thanks, Nick, for the introduction. Uh, Andrew Vermeer, Deputy Executive Director at the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. Um, we are excited to be here tonight to give you all an update on the Resilient State Route 37 project. And as Nick mentioned, it really is a partnership of all four counties, the region, and the Department of Transportation. We're also spending an awful lot of time trying to make sure we're understanding some of the environmental concerns in the corridor so that we're advancing all the projects with a real interest in the ultimate um, work that's needed to keep that important corridor open. Next slide. As uh, Nick mentioned, we're going to talk real briefly about a corridor overview. We always find it uh, helpful to kind of put perspective on what we're talking about, even though most of the audience is clear about where the project is. We're going to spend some time on the planning and environmental linkages study that Tammy um, Massengale from Caltrans will present. Some specific information on the flood reduction project uh, from US 101 to Atherton Avenue that Ahmad Rahid from Caltrans will present. I'm gonna update you on the Sears Point to Mare Island Improvement Project, and then we're all available for questions after that. Next slide. Next slide. So I like to start with just a reminder about the picture in the upper right. Um, and it really represents the difficulty the region has in commuting back and forth. And frankly, from an emergency route perspective, from the West Bay to the East Bay. Uh, we have the what's shown in red, the very securitous route that goes up around 116. You've got the State Route 37 road in green, and then of course the Richmond Bridge corridor down at the bottom in blue. And as a reminder, the Richmond Bridge was retrofit to a no collapse strategy, which means it's likely gonna be closed after a major significant earthquake, and it's unclear if it could be repaired. State Route 37 also has vulnerabilities for seismic and obviously sea level rise concerns. And so the importance of keeping these corridors open and healthy is a, of, of a real high level of concern for all of us uh, that are, are interested in the um, economy in this area. Looking at the more uh, direct picture that shows the highway connections, we talk about the project as Nick mentioned from left to right. So uh, from 101 in Novato in purple to State Route 121, we have what's called Segment A, uh, where TAM and Caltrans really are leading the efforts. When you get to the blue section, which we call Segment B, it goes from Sears Point to Mare Island. That's led also by Caltrans and uh, the MTC. And then the green section goes from Mare Island uh, to 80, and Solano is really taking lead in that arena. Next slide. 
This slide is really designed to represent what we're really facing as a challenge. So really starting from the bottom, you know, pictorial, what you see is the sea level rise challenges really require us to deal with some long range permanent fixes that are part of the future conversation and are already under work today to make sure that in 2040, when we believe that sea level rise will critically affect that corridor, we'll be ready with um, substantial improvements that keep us out of that potential problem. What we're really talking about today, though, is a series of projects in the interim environment that are designed to really deliver early benefits. We want to address the equity of the challenges of getting the workforce from the East Bay into Marin and back. We want to deal with reliability and travel times. We also want to emphasize the opportunity to develop transit in a corridor where there's been no transit um, by providing a high occupancy lane that will be used for uh, transit investments as well as carpool investments. We know there's critical bayland restoration that will go on with the work that we're producing and public access and additional resiliency efforts are also included in our series of projects. Next slide. So with that, I'd like to turn it to uh, Tammy Massingale from Caltrans to talk about the planning and environmental linkages study. Great, thank you, Andy. Uh, next slide, please. Um, good evening, board members. My name is Tammy Massingale and I am with Caltrans headquarters and have been one of the co-leads along with Chris Caputo from District 4 for the State Route 37 Planning and Environmental Linkages Study. The Planning and Environmental Linkages Study is a Federal Highway Administration initiative to bridge the gap that often occurs between planning and the environmental review process. Caltrans also incorporated CEQA agencies into the Pell process. I wanted to let you know that Caltrans in coordination with MTC and the four North Bay County Transportation Authorities are completing the first Pell on the state highway system in California. In fact, today, I'm happy to say that we have completed it and it will be available for public distribution on Monday. The Pell study considered the entire corridor with connections at US 101 and Interstate 80. Moreover, we were asked by the EPA or the Environmental Protection Agency to consider a Pell for the corridor. As we all well know, State Route 37 is a 21 mile vital link in the region's economy, connecting four North Bay counties, Marin, Sonoma, Napa, and Solano. It is heavily traveled and prone to congestion, and it goes, goes through highly sensitive marshland commonly referred to as the San Pablo Baylands. Given its location, it is vulnerable to flood-related closures and sea level rise. Studies predict that the corridor could be permanently submerged as sea levels rise. This could result in additional traffic on distant roadways, which are not equipped for it, like Andy mentioned. Caltrans has undertaken the Pell study to address future transportation issues on State Route 37 and identify an ultimate solution or a long-term solution for the challenges facing this corridor. Caltrans opted to conduct a Pell for the 37 corridor for many reasons, including the Pell allows for the examination of a broad area, as you'll see in a moment, options well beyond the current State Route 37 were considered. It sets the stage for focused and future projects. It establishes a long-term transportation vision that is built on the input of key stakeholders, considers conceptual design, traffic analysis, and evaluation of environmental impacts. It solicits input from the public, elected officials, agencies, and tribes. 
It establishes buy-in on vision, purpose and need, alternatives, and environmental issues. And lastly, enables more effective decision-making. Next slide, please. One of the primary reasons Caltrans is conducting the Pell study is to address sea level rise and to look for solutions to projected inundation. The various alignments and alternatives that we have evaluated for future improvements to the corridor all considered sea level rise. For context, we're showing two aerial photos of State Route 37. The photo on the left shows existing conditions today, while the photo on the right shows when nine feet of sea level rise inundation is projected to look like in 2123. The dark blue that you see ranges anywhere from eight to 12 feet of water. The medium blue ranges from six to eight feet and the light blue ranges from four to six feet. These photos are from BCDC's floor, flood explorer tool. Excuse me, slide nine, next slide please. Earlier, I mentioned that Appel offers the chance to look at a broad area. And as you can see on the slide, in the course of the Pell study, we looked at many different alignment alternatives to the existing State Route 37, ranging in the south from New Bay crossings to new roadways in the north of the existing corridor, all the way up to an expansion in the far north of State Route 116 and State Route 12 that go through Sonoma and Napa counties. We adapted these alignments from prior studies conducted for other projects in the corridor, some that were, were prepared by Caltrans, MTC, and the other county transportation authorities. In addition, three of the alignments, alignments eight, nine, and 10, were added based on feedback from the stakeholders. In the next few slides, I will talk more about how the Pell study evaluated these other prospective corridors. Next slide, please. The Pell process we followed was built around three levels of screening. As you can see in the graphic, the screening process helped us start with a large number of alignments and allowed for a single alternative to emerge as preferred. The funnels in the picture are symbolic of the evaluation criteria developed at each level. In the first level, we looked at how well the alignments met the project purpose and need. In the second and third levels, the alternatives were evaluated against detailed criteria related to design, environmental factors, traffic, and feasibility. Very important to note that the entire process illustrated above was deeply informed and or driven by stakeholder participation. Stakeholders helped us from the very beginning, from shaping the purpose and need to conducting each level of evaluation. As shown in this graphic, the goal is to carry forward the best performing alternatives and set aside those that are problematic so that the environmental review, which is required by federal and state regulations, can be more efficient and clearer. Without the Pell, the sorting and screening of alternatives can become subsumed in the environmental review process, which can really drag the process out. And as I mentioned earlier, a key aspect of Appel is to integrate transportation planning and environmental considerations towards a more efficient environmental review process. And by environmental review, I'm referring to the state and federal laws, CEQA, or the California Environmental Quality Act, and NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act. CEQA and NEPA, in turn, require us to prepare studies stating what the environmental impacts will be. Next slide, please. Because of time constraints, I'm gonna give a very abbreviated overview of the three levels of screening. 
On the slide, you can see the five-pointed purpose and need statement we developed with stakeholders at the outset of the study and discussed with some of you in February. This statement ground our process in thinking about issues related not only to transportation, but to the environment and equity. In our level two and level three screenings, we use more specific criteria such as potential impacts to sensitive lands and species, the amount of vehicle miles traveled that would be generated, and a wide range of other topics that you might see in an environmental document, such as noise, visual effects, cultural resources, and more. We also used criteria related to feasibility of construction and cost. Next slide, please. As a result of the three levels of screening, the alternative that emerged on the top was constructing a causeway generally across the existing State Route 37 corridor. The key attributes of this alternative, which we had labeled as alternative five include, it's an expressway design with two travel lanes in each direction with a shoulder running lane for peak period use. The posted speed limit would be about, would be 60 miles an hour. There would be accommodation for both bicycles and pedestrians. It would primarily be a causeway with limited embankment. It would allow for the removal of the existing State Route 37 fill in those areas where there would be a causeway. Um, there would be access through interchanges, intersections, and even some limited direct access points. And it also allows for rail to be adjacent to the corridor. Alternative five emerged as a preferred alternative for a number of reasons. Those reasons include it utilizes the existing transportation corridor, minimizing land conversion, balances the potential impacts to upland resources and aquatic resources along the existing corridor. It best preserves the regional tra travel patterns, especially for those equity priority communities. There would be no induced VMT. There would be minimal use of agricultural land. It allows for landward marsh migration. There would be the least need for noise abatement. There would be the least adverse change to visual quality, and there would only be moderate impacts to tidal marsh. Next slide, please. Here's a more defined depiction of the preferred alternative. You can see on the screen that the preferred alternative would primarily be a causeway, which is noted with the blue line. With there would, and there would be some limited sections that would either be at grade or on embankment, and those are shown in green. The next step is that we will be publishing the PELS study, like I mentioned earlier, um, hopefully on Monday, if not, it'll be early next week. And from there, we're going to um, go to the next slide, please. What we did in the um, report is we have what's called an implementation plan. And in that implementation plan, it makes some recommendations on how to best go forward in constructing a long-term project. And a corridor of this length would be very costly. And as you know, um, some of those rough estimates are anywhere between eight and $24 billion. We've been looking at ways and coordinating with the resource agencies and our transportation authority partners on how the corridor might be logically broken up into more feasible pieces. It is important to note that each of these sections can be combined with other sections if there's available funding. I'm gonna turn it over to Ahmed to talk about the US 101 to Atherton Avenue flood reduction project, which is the first project that evolves out of the Pell study. Ahmed? Thank you, Tammy. 
Good evening, board members. Uh, first of all, thanks for having us tonight. Uh, my name is Ahmed Rahid. I'm the acting regional project manager for the 37 corridor from Caltrans. And tonight uh, I'm going to give a brief presentation of the ESA 37 flood reduction project, uh, the current alternative that we are working on and also the schedule. Uh, the project is located in Marin County. It starts at US 10137 intersection and goes all the way to Atherton Avenue 37 intersection to the east. Uh, within our project limit, um, 37 is a four lane expressway. Uh, this part of 37 is uh, really vulnerable to flooding. Uh, some of you may remember that we had to close 37 twice uh, within the last five years. Uh, first time it was uh, back in 2017. Uh, due to flooding. And again, uh, that time we had to close it for 28 days. And the second time was in 2019. And uh, that time we had to close for eight days. Uh, this project would uh, address the recurring flooding and also the projected sea level rise to year 2130. Next slide, please. Uh, this slide shows the existing elevation uh, within our project limit and also the surrounding levees. Uh, each color-coded line re represents a elevation range. Uh, the red line uh, means that the existing elevation is from four to six feet. Uh, the yellow line means the existing elevation from, is from 10 to 12. And the green line means it's from 18 to 20 and above. Uh, just to clarify on the orientation, the project starts at US 10137 intersection. At location one, we have the Novata Creek Bridge, which we are going to replace. And at location two uh, is the Atherton Avenue undercrossing, uh, where we are terminating the project. Uh, as you can see, uh, the majority of the project limit from one to two is uh, the elevation is from four to six. And just to compare the current FEMA 100-year base flood elevation is 11 feet uh, within our project limit. Next slide, please. This slide shows the current alternative that we're working on and also some of the alternatives we considered in the past. Uh, just to give you a background, we started the environmental process in the summer of 2021. Uh, we did the first scoping meeting in November of last year. And back then, we uh, our proposed alternative was to do an embankment uh, to an interim year of 2050 for the entire stretch. And that uh, alternative was not well received by the agencies and the public. Uh, so we went back to the drawing board. And at the same time, the Caltrans Planning and Environmental Linkages Study, uh, what we also call the PEL study, identified the existing corridor for all long-term development, and also proposed to do a causeway for uh, the long-term project. Uh, to align with that recommendation, and also to avoid any throwaway cause, the project development team decided to do a causeway for the entire stretch and to, uh, do a year 2130. Uh, that's the current alternative that we are working on. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the funding uh, to do a causeway for the entire project limit. So uh, as the first fundable package, we'll be replacing the Novata Creek Bridge. And in future, when fund becomes available, we'll go back and we'll do the rest. Next slide, please. Uh, this slide shows the current schedule. Uh, 
as I mentioned earlier, uh, we began the environmental studies uh, back in the summer of 2021. Uh, we did our first scoping meeting in November of last year. Uh, we did the scope update meeting actually yesterday. And uh, we are targeting to circulate the uh, environmental document in fall, uh, I'm sorry, spring of next year and complete the environmental phase around June, uh, summer of next year. Uh, and pending funding availability will uh, begin the construction in 2027. And we'll also targeting to complete design in 2026. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Andy. Thank you, Ahmed, and thank you for your patience. Uh, I'll bring us home with a quick update on the Sears Point to Mare Island Improvement Project, which includes the interchange work at 37 and 121, some improvements we want to make at Tolle Creek and then the section that requires an additional lane to deal with traffic. Its purpose really is about making improvements to traffic flow and also making sure that the road is in good condition for the period of time it takes us to start to work on the long-term solutions. But we do believe that the traffic congestion is really an equity challenge for the workforce, as I mentioned before, that's coming from the east and working in the west and then returning in the evening. And it also is a corridor that has no opportunity for multimodal traffic travel options. And so our uh, improvements will provide that opportunity. Next slide. The environmental document, which is currently being um, evaluated, anticipates three alternatives. The first is a highway with a movable barrier that would allow the peak direction to have two lanes of traffic and the non-peak to be in one. The second alternative uh, is similar to the lower deck on the Richmond Bridge where you will provide the widening for two lanes in both directions, but it's technically a shoulder that would be opened up during the peak in the peak directions. And then finally, there's two versions of alternative three, which provides two lanes in both directions all the time. Um, one with a minimum four-foot shoulder and the other with an eight-foot shoulder. And so those are the alternatives that are being considered today. Next slide. We do, in the analysis, really focus on the options of reducing congestion. And so what we see in the eastbound PM peak, and I know a lot of us have experienced it, we believe that the improvements reduce the delay from 100 minutes to about 26 minutes, and in the westbound in the morning from 60 minutes to about 30 minutes. When you calculate user benefits, which are part of the analysis process, we see that the project pays itself off. And I know there's been concerns about the investment, um, but we do think it's important in order to keep the corridor open while we work on the long-term benefits to make these improvements now. Next slide. I mentioned transit and rideshare opportunities. So Solano County has actually taken the lead in producing a transit report. And we do believe that we can connect quite a few existing uh, transit connections on both the east end and the west end that will really provide opportunities to create mobility hubs at the fairgrounds in Vallejo and Dovato. Um, we wanna take advantage of some of the existing parking rides and develop them a little bit better. Um, in Mare Island, Black Point, and Roland. And we also want to take advantage of work that many of the counties are doing in first and last mile mobility options. Um, but the basic concept is we believe we can put in 
weekday all-day service using Solano Express between Vallejo and Novato. We anticipate it being zero emission transit operations, and we also will be adding uh, the opportunity to create high occupancy vehicle travel, which obviously is something that's not available today since there's no advantage because of the current delay situation. Next slide. We've got pretty good detail on how it might operate. There's a lot of words on the slide, but the bottom line is we're considering this as part of the investment in the corridor. And so the work that's been done in the transit service to date represents what you see on this slide, which is a significant investment in creating that transit right from the start. Um, and we look forward to seeing that service uh, going in uh, when we open the facility. Next slide. Public access is extremely important. And while it's very difficult today for bikes to use the corridor, and it will be difficult until we get some of the long-term improvements done, we are committing to making significant investments in public access and have used the Bay Trail staff to help us identify where those fixes might be best served, as well as working with the community in Vallejo on the next slide um, to really take a look at, uh, I'm sorry, I guess that slide's not here, but looking at both Vallejo side improvements for water trail access and also this important uh, connection at the Sears Point area where there's a break in the Bay Trail today. Next slide. One of the most important concepts that we're trying to apply is to do resiliency work as we build the projects and not just provide mitigation. The two areas that we've committed to building in concert with the entire project, so they would be done at the same time that the widening project is done, is to do repair work at the Strip Marsh uh, East line, which is shown in the bottom left picture, which has been advised by the Regional Water Quality Control Board to really protect the upland area until resiliency improvements are made. And then the most important improvement is to lengthen the Tolle Creek Bridge that's shown on the right side of the map, where it's currently restricts the water flow up into the area north of 37. The current bridge is only 60 feet wide today. We're in the environmental process of delivering a project that is about 400 plus feet long. And again, that uh, advice is coming to us from the San Francisco Estuary Institute. So we're really taking advantage of what resource agencies would like to see us do in this corridor so that we make adaption improvements along with the highway improvements. Next slide. So at the end of the day, we believe that the project we're talking about here from Sears Point to Mare Island delivers inequity significantly, providing transit and rideshare options and reliability. We, we will be tolling the facility, which helps us mitigate vehicle miles traveled. But in that case, we also plan on providing means-based discounts for both tolls and transit. We think that the project does a lot to improve and reduce interim flooding risks due to subsidence. Um, I mentioned the tolling helps reduce the vehicle miles travel that we will create in the corridor. And then of course, importantly, the Tolly Creek Bridge replacement and Strip Marsh East are important environmental improvements that will be done in concert with the project. The funding is a complicated scheme of, uh, of different funding sources. Um, but we're confident in the spring that we'll be able to align the funding to match with the delivery of the project and hopefully also continue to work on long-term sea level rise adaption in the corridor. Next slide. 
An important part of our work here, though, is making sure that we are being transparent and partnering with all the resource agencies in the corridor. And as we're all aware, there's many of them. So we have in, uh, uh, started to work very aggressively at putting together a long-term agreement that will define how the agencies work together to deliver projects in the proper sequence and to make sure that as we move forward with improvements, they're designed to make the corridor and resiliency efforts work well to deliver flood protection, transportation solutions, and also really support the ecological restoration that's needed in the San Pablo Baylands. Next slide. Where we are today, um, we anticipate that the final environmental document will be approved by the end of this calendar year. That then allows us to go into design. And in the design and permitting phase is where we really are challenged with making sure that the impacts that we put in the corridor work is as minimum as possible to make sure we have a safe operating facility. Our goal is to award the construction contracts in 25 and then open them up uh, towards the end of 26 and into 27. And that's our uh, series of updates. And I think we're all available to answer questions as you see fit, Chair Moulton-Peters. Thank you, uh, Andy, and to everyone who presented tonight. Uh, very comprehensive. And um, so I'm gonna open now to my board colleagues. Just a lot of information. Uh, but I, I welcome your questions right now, uh, comments, and I see uh, Vice Chair Colbert has his hand up. He can start off. Thank you, Madam Chair. Andrew, thanks to you and your guests uh, for the presentation. Um, I'm curious, can you talk about how the project has changed in response to Congressman Huffman's concerns over the last six months? Thank you for that question. Um, I like to think that we've always been thinking in similar directions, and I know there's a very different approach to how we get to the finish line. Um, but I think the two pieces of advice that uh, Congressman Huffman gave us earlier this year was to really make sure, one, we're coordinating with the SMART corridor. And I want to say that all of the agencies have amended our MOU to include SMART. So SMART is at the table with us all as we work on the corridors to make sure that everything that they're working on and we're working on is done in parallel. And then secondarily, it's to rebuild that trust with the environmental community to really advance the concepts of investments in resiliency so that the corridor stays open. And I think we're making quite a bit of strides in those direction. Um, I know we've still got a long ways to go um, and we're not at a place where we've got unanimity um, but we do think that we're headed in the right direction and we're hopeful that people recognize that the balance of the equity question for getting the workers into the West Bay and the investments that we are committing to um, with Tole Creek and the strip marsh, among other things, uh, like reducing the footprint during the course of design to the minimum we possibly can, those are all positives and working towards that. In, in addition, um, we are very much concentrating on getting some state funding that will allow us to really advance the long range improvements and really do the engineering and planning work that's required. It's very difficult to imagine what an elevated causeway would look like through this, through this corridor. And we really need to do more work in that space before we can start to answer the long-term questions. In particular, we need to know where SMART is really gonna go. 
Uh, right now, it crosses 37 in the Sears Point area and goes parallel with 121. It's possible they may want to go parallel with 37 towards Vallejo instead, which would make a very significant change in how we would address the 37 corridor in the long term. So we are continuing to work, um, I think, in good faith with all the resource agencies and are committed to continue to work on the long-term improvements, which is what the Congressman's goals are. And so we're, we're paying attention. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, yes, Commissioner Cutrano. Thank you, Chair. Uh, hi, Andrew and Tammy and Ahmed. Thank you so much for the update. Um, I had a quick question on um, the, the, the timeline of this. Uh, it, so if my understanding is correct, the US 101 Atherton project, which is sort of part one of segment A is what kicks this off. And after all the design and permitting goes through that, that kicks off um, construction in 2027. Um, as that carries through for segment A and then segment B and there's an interim proposed and then there's a, an ultimate project. Am I right in understanding that there's going to be work being done on this corridor for for decades to come? And I guess I'm wondering how how we mitigate um, congestion in the interim as the decades of work proceeds. Look, I think you put up a very important challenge, and that will be a hard nut to crack. Um, it's a very limited corridor and all of the projects that we're talking about push up against the existing right-of-way as well as keeping traffic open and that is some of the work that needs to come forward in the you know preparations for the long-term improvements it, it will be a challenge to manage these series of projects and keep traffic flow going thank you if i can ask one quick follow-up um at what point in the process um will the public, the general public have a sense of what that um, congestion management strategy looks like, um, just so that they have, you know, people can start to, to plan um, for the changes that are forthcoming. Well, I, I, the quickest way I think for me to answer, and I'm not sure, maybe Ahmad might be the guy to, to take it from where I leave it, but the fact that we are all working together, we have a strong public communications team in our group. And so as projects come out, and there will be smaller projects that come out well in advance of some of the large ones that we're talking about, um, you know, we've, we've built, I think, a pretty good reputation for keeping people informed. We've got the policy committee that meets regularly. Uh, we've got all of our various boards like this one. And MTC. And then, as I mentioned, we've got a really strong public information team that's supported by all the agencies and, and really led by Caltrans for the improvements because they'll likely do all the construction in the corridor. Got it. And so as projects are, since they're, it's kind of piecemeal, um, the, you know, as improvements are rolled out, there will just be new notices being put out through the various uh, transit agencies about the the different delays or, or different issues that um, commuters might incur um, from each of the respective improvements. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Thank you very much. That's all my questions. 
Yeah, I'd also like to add, actually, Andrew pretty much covered everything I wanted to say. Uh, we are working with the design team in close coordination uh, for both uh, the flood reduction and the sear spine. So uh, we'll know, we'll discuss the staging with each other. And at the same time, we have a very robust PIO public information team. So we'll make sure the public, they are aware of any upcoming major changes, any uh, traffic interruptions. So we'll make sure of that. Thanks for your comments. Thank you, Commissioner Lucan. Uh, thank you, Chair, and uh, thank you to all the presenters. Um, my apologies for asking a similar question to one that I asked at the Highway 37 Policy Committee, but I think it's good for my colleagues here. Excuse me. Uh, and that's with regards to, uh, I'm pleased to see the longer bridge being proposed over Tole Creek, um, but I, I'm curious at what point, if, if, if that part of the project becomes more and more expensive, at what point does it make sense to do the causeway just over that section and potentially as a part of segment six of the Pell or I think as I alluded to a section 7A of the Pell to combine the uh, 121 interchange with Causeway all the way over Tole Creek uh, to Tubbs Island uh, as your first phase of the Causeway go right over the smart tracks. Uh, has, has that or is that continuing to be vetted as, as a possible option? Nick, um, Director Lucan, that's a, a really good question. And what we're hoping to do is maybe provide better visuals for what it is that people are thinking in terms of the causeway. Um, Tammy mentioned that the causeway is 30 feet high. It's a big bridge going across this whole corridor. If you're gonna get out of the um, sea level rise concerns, we also, as I mentioned, have to deal with the geometry restrictions. And so the train that is crossing perpendicularly is also at the same elevation problems as our highway because it crosses the highway at grade. And it's likely for that, um, which is currently uh, a freight line, it would have to come up in the air also, which means we would have to go over the top of that, which affects all of the work that's being done at 131 and 21. 130, 121 and 37. Um, and that elevation then guides where you would have to touch down as you approach really the Sonoma Creek area. Um, if SMART decides to go parallel with 37, we would have very different geometry to deal with. And frankly, those are the questions that we need to spend some time answering, that we need to get some state revenue to understand so that SMART can do their analysis and decide what investments they are planning on making. And then that will help us understand what investments we would ultimately make. Um, the other thing that's important to recognize, and it was shown in one of the slides that Tammy had, and that is all the various connections. So once you go 30 feet in the air, you still have to get connected to private and public uh, access points that already exist. Um, so the Vallejo Water District, uh, Sanitation District has some, there's a lot of private ownership issues there, and then there's some other public connections that would have to be addressed. All of those affect the right-of-way idea, uh, the right-of-way impacts of the project as well. And they're just long-term challenges to try to understand. They're all solvable, but they come with time and money to really understand how to solve them. We are gonna continue during the course of design to try to make permanent improvements or more permanent improvements, but it's hard to envision where any of them would change the vertical alignment much. 
And the investment in Tolly Creek is actually a very simple bridge, even though it's quite a bit longer. Um, it's not a substantial investment when you talk about a big highway improvement. The viaduct itself, the causeway, would be a very significant investment and would require quite a bit of challenges, especially um, in keeping traffic moving, uh, as uh, uh, Director Catano mentioned. All right, thank you. And then um, uh, just, just uh, one follow-up to that, or not uh, actually switching to totally different topics with regards to uh, the EIR, which I heard the plan is to potentially certify that by, by the end of this year. Um, just curious, is alternative one, two, or three A, is there any viability to either of those options from a Caltrans perspective, or is it predominantly three B, the 68 foot wide roadway? Well, you know, a lot of times we like to produce an environmental document that clears as much right away as possible so that you don't have to ever go back and supplement your environmental document. We're also working at creating an agreement with the resource agencies that makes our commitments much more strong, uh, as strongly committed to like Tolle Creek and the Strip Marsh, which are technically not part of the widening project, but we're committing to building them at the same time. So the Tolle Creek work would catch up. Um, that partnership agreement, as I mentioned, also want to remind folks on the schedule that the design work hasn't started. You start, start design after environmental. Caltrans and MTC and all of our partners are committed to making the footprint as minimum as possible and still provide safe operations for the Caltrans maintenance workers and the highway patrol that keeps the corridor open. So we believe that we should be able to build a facility that is quite a bit less width than the eight foot option. If we're good, we might get it closer to the four foot option and maybe in some places we can do even better than that. And we'll commit to operations and incident management improvements by providing more architecture on top of it, like cameras uh, and other improvements in technology that would help the CHP uh, deal with um, you know, clearing an incident when it happens without maybe the safety of the pavement. So my hope is, our hope is that during the two years of design, we're gonna make uh, real significant improvements in minimizing the width of the pavement, such that the concern that you're mentioning is, is minimized as much as possible. But we, we really need to get started on the design once the environmental work is done in order to really answer those questions. And we're, we're, we're counting on building the trust and the transparency during the process as being our path to really thinking about how you design projects like this in the future. Because I think we all know that this is really one of the first resiliency projects that we're dealing with in the Bay Area infrastructure. And it's not alone. San Rafael is below sea level uh, at 101 as well. So I think we're going to be working in challenges like this throughout the region to keep the, uh, the region viable. And this is maybe one of our first cracks at really trying to understand how you marry these two concerns of, of keeping the investment operating and also dealing with the, the changes that the environment is, is requiring us to deal with as well. All right, thank you. Other questions from commissioners? Okay, I'm not seeing any more hands. So I'm going to ask just a couple uh, because I uh, attended a similar presentation at the BCDC meeting uh, uh, last month 
And so this is a question either for Tammy or, or for Andrew or for Ahmed, but I wonder two things, uh, if you could explain the significance of the wider bridge at Tole Creek and what problem that's trying to solve, uh, similarly the strip marshes. So somebody has to channel their inner environmentalist to do that for us, please. And then uh, the this, this second question was regarding minimizing fill, which I know was very prominent in Congressman Huffman's mind that he did not see adding additional fill as going in the right direction. And it sounds like uh, there are options to reduce the fill uh, and Andy, the appropriate time you could share with the group what the difference is if we have four lane uh, road widths and eight, uh, eight foot, excuse me, four foot versus eight foot and how you would address uh, safety with pullouts. Uh, and then finally, uh, Tammy, you had talked in the BCDC presentation about the way the, the highway now has been segmented into various segments, that these could be sequenced in uh, a number of ways, depending on the ultimate significance, the funding available, and I think that would be helpful for this group to understand too. So that's a lot, but I think it kind of fills in a few of the details that I found interesting at the BCDC presentation. So I'll open it up for whoever wants to lead off. Let, let, let me start and then I'll rely on Tammy as a lifeline. She's a little bit closer to some of the environmental work. And then we do have some of our technical staff available if we really start to um, sink. Uh, the, you know, it's interesting, Chair Moulton Peters, when the barrier was built in 1994 that made it a safe facility for head-on collisions, there was a mitigation that was intended to protect the strip marsh that was done and it didn't work. Um, and so what's happened, and it's happening at an increasingly alarming rate, according to the resource agencies, is that strip marsh, which protects actually all of the tidal lands above the current alignment is being eroded away. And when that disappears, that's actually an arm of protection that is, is actually protecting the area that needs to be improved north of 37. So the resource agencies believe they have a better fix this time around that would put in some channels and allow that strip marsh to restore a little bit while the dike is still in place, the dike being State Route 37. Tolley Creek, what it does is that's an incredibly important tidal flow area right in front of the Sears Point area. And when the bridge and the highway were built back in the early 1900s, they constricted that flow significantly. And so water is not able to transmit back and forth across the bay, across the uh, freeway and um, kind of repopulate that area just north of 37. So what it does by widening the bridge to 400 plus feet, it allows for that tidal flow to take a better form which then also allows for investment and resiliency options that the resource agencies are planning as part of the Baylands work. And I think it is important to recognize that they need some of that Tole Creek work to be done before they can actually get in and do some of the improvements that are important for long-term resiliency. So the Tole Creek is sort of the opening salvo in really starting to protect the bay and make significant changes uh, in the way that the tidal flows have been uh, impacted over the years. And then lastly, according to the fill, you know, the, the way we've looked at it in terms of analysis 
The movable barrier has a lot of technical problems, but it produces about one and a half acres worth of fill. The four foot shoulder would produce about four acres versus of fill and the eight foot shoulder requires about nine acres. So every foot we can get rid of, we have less fill we would have to put in. But I think it's important to recognize that we're not talking about substantial fills like a big embankment. We're talking about sliver widenings that go for the entire length that stay within the existing footprint of the current dike, um, but allow us to put pavement on top of it. It also doesn't make the challenge of removing the facility when we get a long-term improvement done any harder. So it is fill. We are trying to minimize it, get it much closer to say a four acre number or round numbers, and uh, also recognize that not creating any real additional challenges for removal and it's not a significant fill in terms of impacting the bay itself. And Tammy, I don't know if you want to finish up for me. Yeah, no, I think you did great on that, um, on those questions, Andy. I don't have really anything to add to that, but um, thank you for the question on the, um, the uh, sections that we have identified for the Pell. We have um, one through eight. And when we identified those sections, we looked at logical termini and independent utility, which is a NEPA uh, regulation, if you will, on how we built projects. And in addition to having logical termini and independent utility, uh, we can't build a project that is gonna predetermine alternatives for another project. So we looked at all three of those aspects when we um, sectioned it up into those eight buildable and um, smaller projects that would probably be easier to fund. And the thing that's really unique about those eight projects is they could be combined uh, with an, like, so um, we have the Atherton Avenue to 101 project and that's um, project number two, if you're looking at your slide deck. It could be, if there was money available, it could be combined with the uh, interchange improvements at 37 and 101, or it could be combined with three, which is gonna be mostly at grade with some limited abankment uh, right there when you get across Black Point. So that's just an example. Uh, there is one of those that we identified and that is number eight in Solano County. That one actually could be split up because there are separate intersections in there that could be um, put out separately. So, and we've worked with Solano County on how they could do that. So I hope that answers um, your question, Chair. If not, um, I can help clarify some more. It does, thank you. And I have one just final follow-up uh, question for Andy. When this goes back to something Commissioner Cutrano asked about, about the the impacts to commuters during construction. So Andy, uh, you had spoken at one point at another meeting about how the interim project would probably be continued use while the ultimate project was built. And I wonder if you could just say a little more about that because I think it's important for people to understand that we, we have a sequencing issue and we have an issue of providing ongoing conduit for, for motorists while we build the new one. Uh, so perhaps you could shed a little light on where that concept came from previously and, and how that would all work. Yeah, I think some of us have been around long enough to um, have uh, had an opportunity to evaluate what was called an unsolicited proposal by United Bridge Partners a couple of years ago. And I only use it because they at least went through a strategy to decide 
how they would phase it as investors. And so they have a very different purpose, I think, for what they're trying to do. But their game plan was um, to build a viaduct parallel to 37 in the segment B, the Sears Point to Mare Island, to the south of the existing alignment, which is problematic all by itself, because I believe it probably would have to take some additional right away in order to do that to build a facility that then could be used for two directional traffic at some point by putting traffic on that bridge once it was built, then you would remove the existing dike and build a parallel viaduct along the existing corridor. So it would be sequenced in such a way that you would build a brand new viaduct that could fit all four lanes, albeit in a temporary condition, going um, you know, primarily uh, to the south of where the existing alignment is, and then a new viaduct after the old dike was removed, um, kind of on the existing footprint. It, your visual has to be something like the Yolo Causeway, which is I-80 from Dixon to uh, Davis, um, to really kind of get a visual in your own head about what a causeway looks like and how much width it would take. So the idea of sequencing it really would probably follow a similar model. Now we are hopeful that we're going to build everything within the new existing right-of-way, but we will likely have to invest in some right-of-way takes, which are very complicated and difficult to permit all by themselves. But the idea in terms of a construction staging is you would keep traffic on the existing alignment and squeeze it as much as possible while you built a parallel viaduct, move traffic to that viaduct, and then build a second viaduct uh, in the, what would be, I guess, the westbound direction. But look, those are sort of very sketch items. And, and I, I need to reiterate the point that so far we've been lucky that the Bay Area Toll Authority invested some money that's not even the Regional Measure 3 money to do the work we've done in Segment B. And Senator McGuire found us some money for Segment A. And that's really all the money that the corridor has brought forward today. So bringing more revenue into the corridor in order to answer these questions properly for all of you is something that we're dedicated to doing in the same time frame that we're going to start the design work on the interim projects because really we need to do more work before we can technically answer all of your questions because they're proper questions they're just not possible to answer today effectively thank you i appreciate it and i think the the further issue any of us who lived through the widening of the Nevada narrows know that there's workarounds to so that ongoing traffic can can flow while new uh, pieces are built and they're just a consideration as we go through this process so anyway thank you thank you all for the presentation I'm going to open the uh, public comment now see if there's additional comments or questions so Jennifer if you would uh, Cynthia Murray, please unmute. Thank you very much, Cynthia Murray, North Bay Leadership Council. Uh, I am very excited to hear this presentation and just wanted to ensure that the uh, members understand how important this corridor is to not only our environmental resiliency, but our economic resiliency. The equity issue is a huge factor 
but it's also an issue for our companies to have the workforce they need. And we are seeing, especially in our essential workers who oftentimes are lower wage, they can't afford to live in Marin and Sonoma, they have to commute in from the East Bay. The commutes are making it very, very difficult for them. They are finding work elsewhere. They don't need to have to come all the way over here and endure that. And it, we have, for example, I have one nonprofit member who normally has 300 employees, they're down to 136 employees because they can't find people to come to Marin and Sonoma. And they've raised their pay, they've raised their benefits. It's Our hospitals are in trouble, retail's in trouble. I mean, it is dire. So um, the, the faster we can get the interim solution going, and, and we all agree that we want the long-term solution, that's absolutely what's necessary. We know we have to raise it because of the sea level rise, but we really need this interim solution. And, and all of us are going to suffer if we don't figure out how we're going to make it so we can get the workers where they need to be. I really appreciate um, all your hard work on this and thank you so much. Thank you. Next. Warren Wells, please unmute. Thank you, Chair Milton Peters. This is uh, Warren Wells with the Marin County Bicycle Coalition. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Premier and the, and the Caltrans staff for their presentation. You know, we, we realize that CBR 37 is a very, you know, out of the way for, for bicyclists stretch of road. Um, you know, but part of the short-term project being planned would involve the legal closure of the shoulder to bicycle access. And as a bicycle coalition, we don't take removal of access lightly and, and weigh this question with our partners in Sonoma and Napa. That said, I've, I've been attending meetings to this project for the past two years and have been largely satisfied with the direction it's taken. I realize there's a lot of information presented, but this project does include several important mitigation measures, such as the closure of a Bay Trail gap near Sears Point, a project requested by us and our partner bicycle advocacy coalitions. Additionally, the provision of transit service of the corridor can help close the gap for people traveling without a car, and the long-term project is being planned with a full parallel multi-use path, something that we actually feel will be a destination in and of itself rather than the harrowing shoulder riding today. And while we do look skeptically at highway capacity increases, um, when we know that private automobiles make up the largest share of greenhouse gas emissions in the state, a significant toll as being proposed with needs-based discounts is a way to mitigate that. And, and uh, you know, less we'd be worried about the, the cost impact to tra travelers, like time is money. And I suspect that many people seeing traffic today would pay good money to avoid that. One comment, just in closing, is if the planned by transit service, I would urge the project team to ensure that the, the buses themselves employ racks that can hold at least three bicycles rather than the still two common two position racks. Given the number of buses planned in the slide that, that um, Mr. Premier showed, I suspect this service would not be any more frequent than two buses per hour and, and people trying to use a bike and a bus to make a multimodal journey need some level of assurance they can find a spot without having to then wait you know, an hour for the next bus. So. Again, thank you for all your time and consideration. The teams work on this. Thank you. Uh, Vita Flores, please unmute. Good evening. Thank you, Nick and uh, Tammy, for the presentation. I enjoyed listening to this update. I've been following Highway 37 
for many years now. And Commissioner Lucan brings up an important point and reminds me of the connection with a smart train. If the smart train chooses, and since you, you, this is just a rhetorical question, chooses not to continue eastbound service for say 20 years in their planning, will the how will um, the Highway 37 project work around this? And then secondly, I've been traveling to Sacramento quite a bit this month. And as I crossed that Tolake Bridge, I noticed how the PG&E transformers are very close to the bridge. I wondered if you have, are having conversations with PG&E about rerouting their transformers. So where, do, where does that lie in, within the conversation and does it change with the different uh, um, variations of the Highway 37 crossing? I know that uh, Napa County Transportation was given a grant um, to study um, ride share. And I'm wondering if you know if that has been completed. And then finally, on my way home from Sacramento, I went through uh, Highway 116 to avoid the Thule fog. And then I remembered a conversation that I had with my friend who lived in Fairfield that commutes to Marin every day. He said, when the bridge is built, or the causeway is built and there's a toll charge that he will not, he will go through highway 116 rather than paying the daily toll of six to $10. And I know that MTC has a means-based program or the Clipper Start program to sort of overcome some of the um, equity issues for our priority communities. And I'm wondering if we could just ask them to move beyond the basics of the very low income because there are people just above the poverty line who are barely making it now, who are uh, below middle class, but above the poverty level that are making that road, that trip, who will avoid paying the toll and go through Highway 116 rather than paying the six to $10 bridge toll. So thank you very much. I just wanted to give you a few questions to think about for the future. Thank you, appreciate your questions. Okay. There's no more public comment. I, I'm going to thank again our presenters, Nick, Andrew, Tammy, and Ahmed for coming out tonight. Uh, we look forward to updates in the future, but I think this was very helpful to understand where the project is right now. Thank you for coming. That brings us to our last item of the evening, and this is the countywide transportation plan, agenda item number 10. Uh, and shall I go right to Derek, Ann, or would you like to tee it up? Uh, just, I'll just make a brief remark and then turn it over to Derek. So um, this is really just a very intended to be a very sort of high level preliminary introduction to a uh, forthcoming countywide transportation plan effort. So we just wanted to give you all sort of a preview and then uh, have no fear, we will be back in 2023 with much more information on the plan process and much more opportunity for uh, your important feedback and public feedback as well. So uh, Derek, over to you. Thank you, Anne. Um, Derek McGill, Director of Planning and honored to be presenting the Countywide Transportation Plan um, development process as the last item of this year. So um, with that, I'll get to it. Um, all of you and a lot of the community development directors in the county have been working 
on building a community vision for the last year under your housing element updates. Um, you've been looking at lots and lots of maps and site inventories and thinking about where people are going to live um, to um, within our county over the next couple of years and where our county is going to grow. Um, and as we have those conversations, it's also really important to think about how those people will be getting around and making sure uh, our transportation systems are supporting the viability of those housing sites, but also we're supporting the viability of these transportation systems, the walking and biking, transit, um, and uh, paratransit services, as well as our rail and ferry services in the county. So these um, conversations are correlated and will be continuing over this process. And the countywide transportation plan um, will also be addressing some new and emerging challenges. We've been addressing uh, sea level rise and wildfire evacuations and safety and um, a whole host of new and emerging challenges, including transit recovery as well, which is emerging in um, uh, as a big discussion regionally. Um, but as we address these challenges, a lot of times these are done uh, project by project and there's not a firm countywide strategy in place in some of these areas. Fortunately, we do have a big uh, past history of planning effort. Our 1970s countywide plan um, really was quite successful in supporting the conservation um, in our county, focusing our growth within the urbanized area of the county and protecting that unincorporated farmland and natural resources. It had a transit focus for US 101 um, that has um, been implemented in fits and starts and ultimately led to things like the smart rail corridor and service uh, on our ferry services as well. We also have a 2017 strategic vision plan that this board adopted in um, November of 2017 that advances this countywide transportation planning um, background. And it was really robust in terms of outreach, our most successful outreach process to date and something we wanna replicate within our countywide planning moving forward. But it was really focused on the uh, raising of revenues. It was before Regional Measure 3 was passed, before SB1 was protected in place, and before the passage of Measure AA or our federal IIJ funding. Um, and we have new em emergent areas of equity and some of the topics that we discussed in previous slides. Um, and we also have a more um, ad additional emphasis countywide on coordination and multi-jurisdiction systems approaches. Um, that is changing how we do planning and how we need to be thinking about some of these issues moving forward. So our countywide transportation plan at its core is going to identify these uh, countywide vision and our needs um, and then prioritize and, or how we address the, those challenges and our needs. Uh, we'll do so by setting performance targets and measures in each um, in various areas and then uh, really work um, significantly on actions required to implement the plan by TAM, by our jurisdictions, by our transit operators, and by other agencies or um, stakeholders in the county. And of course, robust outreach and equity will be embedded across each stage of these plan this plan. So we've been thinking a lot about what do we want out of this? What are the outcomes of the CTP? Um, and I'll be quick here, but really we're looking to build consensus on priorities, strengthen our position for competitive funding and advanced data-driven planning and analysis in this county. Um, and also align our local and county planning with regional and state guidance, um, which will help us with those outcomes I just mentioned um, as we move forward. 
In order to do this effort, we are going to need to update quite a few other related plans. Um, we'll be developing a community engagement plan to make sure we're um, embedding that outreach that we need to be successful in this process. But we'll also need to update our model, um, which is planned to be the primary tool for analysis uh, in the plan. Um, and we'll be conducting countywide uh, community-based transportation plans, um, and we'll, we're working on how to integrate that into this plan. Um, and then also just address our ongoing RTP call for projects that we do every four years um, as an agency. So a little bit about the schedule. Um, as we move into wintertime, we'll be forming committees on this and working groups, um, as well as developing a scope of work um, that we would love your input on about what you see as goals and outcomes for this process work to release that RFP this winter, uh, bring on a contractor by summer, and then launch an 18-month process for the CTP. There's a wide number of topics or discussion uh, deliverables within that contract, including development of future scenarios and recommendations for a long-range uh, future here in the county, and then short-range 10-year priorities um, that help us advance those long-range high-performing solutions, but also deliver more immediate um, benefits to the county. The implementation planning will be a big step of that. Um, and this whole process is intended to um, be adopted in fall of 2024, right in time for um, our scheduled six-year review of Measure AA, um, similar to what you heard tonight with Measure B expenditure plan renewal. We do need quite a bit of support from our local jurisdictions and our transit partners. I'll skip this step because we've covered most of that with them, um, but we have been reaching out and uh, making sure they're aware of these upcoming requests. Um, and we've got some questions for the board to consider, including what outcomes do you see as most beneficial from this plan? How do we coordinate on land use decisions that affect local transportation systems and vice versa? How can our transportation systems support your housing elements, um, and then what opportunities do you see for uh, strengthening our transportation planning countywide? So with those questions, we're happy to answer them tonight. We're happy to have uh, further conversation with each of you um, as we get into this process, but wanted you to sort of start thinking about some of these big picture items and um, be aware that we will be developing a scope and releasing a uh, RFP for contractor support in the coming months. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Derek. Uh, I, I knew that we would be far into the evening when this came up. So I asked for a high level presentation just to give you a little preview. So I'm gonna ask if there's any top of mind questions at the moment from the board. And I'm not seeing any. So we will definitely be back at it. I want you to know as commissioners, if you have any questions about this item, or anything presented tonight, Highway 37, what have you, please get in touch with our executive director anytime uh, with your questions and comments. But I, I wanna thank everyone. Derek, thank you. Uh, last call for board questions. I'm gonna call for public comment. I'm not seeing any. Okay, yes, Commissioner Catrano. Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, just one question, Derek, thank you so much for this update. Um, the, you mentioned like establishing working groups and, and you know, different parties that are gonna be engaging on this. Will some of those be comprised of members of this commission as well? 
that is our hope that will form an ad hoc to guide this process. Um, but we're also looking at um, um, engagement committees as well. And there, there may be some overlap amongst some of the various committees. So um, we will we would be happy to engage with whoever would like to engage on this from this board for sure. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, this is all very exciting and we do want board member participation. There will be opportunities to help shape the plan. We invite you all to be part of it. So not seeing any raised hands, I'm going to go to public comment right now. I'm thinking I might hear from Warren Wells. Warren? I don't, see, I don't see any public comment at this time, Chair. Okay, very good. Thank you, Derek. I want to thank the entire staff. I want to thank the board for uh, your patience this evening. This was an information-rich evening, I would say. I want to wish everyone happy holidays, and we'll see you in January. And with that, thank you. We're adjourned. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays and happy new year. Thank you.